All right, I want to do something. We did this in the first, and I think it's real fun. So if you are in this room and you have an impossible situation, I want you to stand up. You have an impossibility in your body, whether that's a barren womb, whether that's some sort of sickness, whatever it is. If there's an impossibility in your life right now, I want to invite you to stand. Or any impossibility, yeah. Financial, whatever it is. All right. Well, I, don't, I believe that that faith was released not just for the sake of it, but that the Lord wants to reveal himself in each and every one of our lives right now, here and now, in this moment. That he is the God of the final hour, that he's the God that can turn it all around. So what I want us to do, I want you to find somebody around you, next to you. If you can't reach them, stretch your hands towards them. If you can reach them, put a hand on their shoulder. And we're just going to begin to pray over them and pray that the Lord would move and take that, that which is impossible, that which has been declared impossible, and make it possible. Come on, just begin to pray, pray out loud, even as I pray. Don't wait. Jesus, right now, would you take every impossibility and would you make it possible? Lord, I just pray that you would turn around in the final hour, every person's situation. Lord, whether it's a sickness in a body, Father, whether there are barren wombs in this room that still need to be opened, we just say, do it right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, release your miracles Release your provision. Release your power in our midst. More, Lord. More, 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 more. Do it, Jesus. Do it, Jesus. Come on, just a little longer. Pray for them in the same way you'd want to be prayed for. More, Lord. More, more. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, would you fill this stage with testimony after testimony after testimony of your goodness? We were, we were joking in the first service that there would be a waiting list to get on stage to give your testimony, that you would have to fill out a form and to be like, you're 51st in line. You're 51st in line. You got to wait almost a whole year to tell of what God's done in your life. Lord, we pray for that supernatural in our midst, for that kind of faith to rise up in our hearts, in our midst. In the mighty name of Jesus, God's people said, amen. Amen. Woo. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for this morning. For those of you who Again, may not know who I am. My name's Aaron. Um, Jess and I are associate pastors here, soon to be announced lead pastors. And um, very, very grateful to be with you. I also want to give a shout out to Davon. I don't know if he's still here, but I want to give a shout out for an amazing message last week on pulpits, on how God takes us from our, yeah, come on, yeah. How God takes us from our places where we feel important, we feel special, we have places of influence, and he actually invites us to step down into the realm of those around us and our neighbor and our brothers and our sisters and to bear their burdens with them and showed us this imagery of like sharing a kettlebell, sharing some weights, picking one another up. And um, what a beautiful thing it is to be the body of Christ, amen? And to carry each other's burdens, to lift one another up. And church is more than just simply a service. It's meant to be a, a family and a community that supports and loves one another. So let's buckle up, let's strap our, our boots up, and let's support and love one another. Amen? And um, I was praying this week, I was thinking, I was processing all sorts of things and, and, and asking the Lord, what should I speak on this weekly? And 
At our staff meeting on Monday, we, we gather together as a staff every Monday, and we, we start off typically by either prayer or worship. And this week, we were starting off just worshiping the Lord, and we began to, to just worship with all our hearts, especially as we began to sing. Uh, there was this one moment we were singing, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, blessed Trinity. And as we began to sing this as a team, as we began to sing this as a staff, the presence of God, like came on a whole nother level in the room. The Lord like came, manifest, not just in us, but among us. Y'all hear me? And so I began, I was playing guitar, I was singing, and my body, I felt electricity going through my body. And I was like, Lord, we had an agenda, but no more. And we just began to worship and worship and worship. And Rochelle got up and she gave a word and she said, I feel that the Lord is like, he, she, he, he was revealing to her like a, a trash, like a dump. And the Lord was taking our trash, he was taking our garbage, he was taking our burdens, and he was throwing them on the heap. And at that same time, right before she gave that word, the Lord was speaking to many of us, even myself, I felt the Lord saying, like, throw off the chains, throw off the things that hinder you, throw off the things that are holding you back, throw off the bondages. And then Jess said this one thing that just stuck with me, and I was like, I hear you, Lord. And she said, I feel like the Lord is saying it's time to pack lightly. It's time to pack lightly. So the title of my message today is it's time to pack lightly. It's pack lightly, everybody. It's time to lay off, lay off those things that so easily hinder us, that so easily hold us back between Duncan's message on roots and fruits and, and letting go of our judgments. And today we're going to look a whole, whole lot more free. Amen. Who, wanna be, who wants to be free? Come on. It's good to be free. Has anyone ever overpacked for a trip before? Be honest. Come on, raise your hand. We either, got, we either got people that overpack or liars in church. Raise your hand, nice, nice and proud. You've overpacked. For, a few of you are like, I travel all the time. How dare you? Listen, you know, you know us overpackers. Every time we say, I'm never going to do that again, and what do we do? Especially it's the worst if you're flying, right? It's the worst if you're flying. You try to measure the suitcase, but it's awkward. You're trying to look at the scale. You're like, I can't see around the suitcase. So you weigh yourself, then you weigh yourself with the suitcase, then you, do the, you try to do the math, and you're trying to figure out, like, have I overpacked? Am I going to be past the limit? And you show up at the airport, and sure enough, you're a couple pounds over. And we hope that it's just a couple pounds. The stewardess, hopefully they'll be, the flight attendant, they'll be nice to us. They'll let us off the hook, but they rarely do. And so you're sitting there like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm going to miss my flight. So you're opening your bag. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And you got strollers and kids if you're a family and you're sitting there and all the bags are open and they're, they're looking at you like you're crazy. And if you're anything like me, I have done this before. You take out the heaviest items. You take out three hoodies and a jacket. I was going somewhere cold, okay? Don't judge. And you put on every single hoodie and then you put on the jacket and yeah, you got boots, you're throwing, you're stuffing jeans in your backpack, whatever it is, and then you just make it, but you're like the, the Michelin man going through security. And, um, or you try to make, you try to like embarrass them, like make it super awkward. You start throwing underwear everywhere and all sorts of things, <laughs> accidentally throw it on them. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And, but you're, it's, it's not fun, right? It's not fun. And again, we tell ourselves, I'm not going to do that again. But inevitably, we get to that trip. Because let's be honest, sometimes it's just easier to just throw it in the bag and be like, I'm sure I'll use this right. And then we use half of it, right? 
And today I want us to avoid all that awkwardness and to pack lightly, not just for a trip, but pack lightly for the life ahead, for the road ahead. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight, the, the, the sins that so easily entangle us, so that we can run the race with perseverance set before us. To throw off the weights, to throw off the shackles, to throw off the chains, to pack lightly so that we can accomplish the race that God has set before us. But so many of us are holding on, we're overpacking, we're holding on to things that are slowing us down, and the Lord wants you to be free today. Tell somebody next to you, the Lord wants you to be free. <laughs> Turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to read a beautiful portion of Scripture. John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. John is, he's recounting the, the Feast of Tabernacles and, and the few days that Jesus remained in the city afterwards, teaching and talking. And this was, a, this was an, an intense moment of time. Jesus had already managed by the eighth chapter of John to make all the religious leaders upset, or many of the religious leaders upset. And they were finding ways they wanted to, whether throw him in prison, kill him, accuse him, silence him, find some way to make him stop. And in this in this chapter, there's this, there's this account that's often known as, as the temple discourse where Jesus argues his deity, the fact that he is the son of God. And the religious leaders and the scribes are, are arguing with Jesus that that cannot be because you are your own witness. You have no other witnesses. And of course, Jesus is saying, no, I have the Father and I have Holy Spirit. I have many witnesses. And in this moment of tension, in this moment where there are those that would seek to end Jesus's life, where is Jesus found? He's found in the public places. He's found in the temple. And he's in the temple, he's in the public space, and he's teaching, and he's, he's presenting, and he's, he's talking about these facts and these matters. And then something happens here, verse, eight, verse one. Y'all there? It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Here he is. And all the people, they came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin be first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse nine, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now, sin no more. Sin no more. Take a moment and look at this story with me. Think about the context here of this story the shame, the ridicule, the embarrassment, the hatred, and, and, and 
condition of the religious leaders' hearts that they would go to such great lengths to convict, to condemn this man, to trap this man, Jesus. It says that this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The very act. We know that Jewish law was quite strict that you had to not just hear about somebody caught in adultery, not just have hearsay, not to just like find them coming out after, but you have to find them in the very act for them to be prosecuted unto death. And that there need to be two or more witnesses. This is beginning to sound planned. That there need to be two or more people present and witnessing not just, not just the sounds, but looking upon the very action. Y'all with me? Okay. Looking upon the very thing. And these, these religious leaders, where was the man? The book of Leviticus has said that you were supposed to stone both man and woman who committed adultery. But the truth is these religious leaders, they weren't looking upon this woman as a human being. They were looking upon her as an instrument, as an instrument to trap Jesus, as an instrument to trap him. Because they knew, listen, if we can get Jesus to say that you, you shouldn't stone her, that you should let her off the hook, then Jesus will seemingly be going against the law of Moses publicly. And they're embarrassing, trying to embarrass Jesus. They're trying to embarrass this woman. And they know that if Jesus says stone her, that Jesus' hands are tied as well in a way. The Romans took away the opportunity or the, the, the option, I should say, for the Jewish people to commit public executions. And as well, Jesus might have been perceived as cruel and unkind and to actually go through with it. What does Jesus do? Bends down. He writes in this, he draws, starts drawing smiley faces in the same sense. Some people say like the Lord was writing the sins of those that were pointing the finger. I don't know. We don't know. It's not, it's not there. But Jesus was taking this moment and he was diffusing this tension. And finally, he stands up and he says, okay, you who is without sin, throw the first stone. And then he just goes back down to just drawn, writing in the sand until every person has left. Every single one. He's just down there writing. And he then looks and he says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And Jesus lovingly looks upon this woman in her shame in her ridicule. Guys, listen, to be caught in the very act, whether she was naked or, or clinging to a robe, trying to cover her body, this was not a, a, a beautiful moment for her. This was a devastating public ridiculing moment for her. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. How kind, how good. I love this story. I think it's one of the greatest examples of what Romans 8 talks about, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Jesus did not come to condemn the world. We know that, John 3, 17, after our favorite verse, says, I did not send my son to condemn the world, but to save the world. That the purpose of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, is to save, not to condemn. And too many of us are preaching a gospel of a God that's still pointing his finger in judgment and we forget to read the scriptures and what they actually say, that he says, neither do I condemn you. That he looks at this woman who was clearly in sin, who had clearly been caught in the act. She was guilty. 
but he says, I don't condemn you. But he doesn't just leave us there because God doesn't just want to leave us with simply being forgiven and let off the hook, but he also wants you to be free. He also wants you to throw off the chains of sin. He also wants you to walk the race set before you that Hebrews 12.1 is talking about. He wants you to, to, to run that race without the weights and the chains and the bondages of sin. So he also empowers us in that line, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. The first... The first thing I want to say about packing lightly, the first thing I want to say about walking in freedom is to encounter Jesus. To encounter Jesus, to encounter his transforming presence. Hopefully we don't have to wait to some public moment like this woman, but that we can willingly come to Jesus and time and time again just continue to be reminded of the goodness and the kindness and the mercy and the non-condemning nature that he is. We come to Jesus, we throw off the chains. We come to Jesus and we say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I repent. I, I give you this. I'm, I've been holding on. I've been carrying this thing. Lord, would you take it? And what does he do? Like the prodigal father, when the son comes back, every time he embraces us, he re-robes us, he restores authority to us. He's been making ways for us since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And he will never stop. Make no mistake. He's so good. This, to come to Jesus, to encounter him is the, and repent, it's the backbone of our salvation. But it's not just that beautiful day when we received him, when we accepted him into our hearts, but it's daily. As we pick up our cross, as we follow him, as we say, Lord, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I missed the mark today. I fell short, Lord, would you forgive me? I've sinned, would you forgive me? And we know he's so kind, he's so loving, he's so good and is unquestionably the way of freedom, to be free. The second thing I want to talk about this morning of, of packing lightly, of taking off weights, of, of following Jesus is, is to not hold on to offense and to not play the judge. It's so easy when we've been wronged, when we feel hurt, when we feel justified, when we feel full of vengeance, when we, when we want that person to feel what we felt, and we want, to, we want to be the judge. I want to read you something. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 7, verse 1, it says this. It says, judge not that you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Y'all catch that? Yep. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What's Jesus getting at? The hypocrisy here. That we are so, it's so much easier to point out the sins of others than look at the sins of our own lives. It's so much easier to see the ways that your spouse has wronged you than wake up and realize the ways you've wronged them. It's so much easier to realize the way that you've wronged, that your boss has wronged you than realize maybe you're not a joy to lead. 
Y'all, y'all, some of y'all like, stop it, stop it. Listen. <laughs> judge not that you will not be judged for the measure in which you judge, you will be judged. How many want to walk out of this moment like, I'm going to start judging everybody? It's this sobering moment. But the important thing is that we understand that we don't play the judge, that it's not our job to take offense. And I have a news flash for you, everybody. You probably already know this news flash, but it's that people will fail you. Maybe you got failed this morning. I don't know. Somebody did something just already set you off the wrong way, whether it was a roommate or a spouse or your kids. Or, and we know that people, it's not always intentionally. People don't always hurt us intentionally. Sometimes it's unintentional. Well, that person, that, that pastor didn't give me, me, me time. Maybe, maybe they had a really hard day and they were thinking about something else. Or that, that employee just walked me by. Maybe they too were, were struggling. It's not always intentional, but the truth is people hurt us, people fail us. The Bible says, when, if your brother sins against you, go to them. If they sin against you. They, people can, we can sin against one another. Y'all with me? It's fundamentals, but we've got to get this. And it's the truth. It happens. People like even myself, failing my kids at times, failing my wife. I don't know why. This weekend, I don't typically get hangry, but I was hangry a couple times. Like I legitimately got hangry. And the moment I ate food, I was like, oh, I just needed to eat. I'm fine now. But it's like sometimes maybe we're overwhelmed or we're stressed about something at work or we haven't eaten or we didn't get a great sleep and we're, we're turning on our spouse. But we're called not to hold on to offense. We're called to, to live the way of Christ, to live the way of Jesus. And it can be, it can be more serious. It can be maybe, maybe it's as serious as a business partner. You were doing a deal with them and they didn't get the percentages right and now you're left out of the deal or not really having the income you were expecting. Or maybe somebody wants to physically hurt you. Somebody is actually, whether emotionally or physically, trying to abuse and hurt you. And sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to let go, right? Y'all with me? It's hard to let go. Like, especially some of you might still have to live with that person, walk, do life with that person, whether that's share custody with that, that somebody that you've gone through a horrible divorce and now you have to share custody and see them. And there's all this pain and offense and this anxiety and these burdens. Maybe you still live with the memory of somebody that wrongfully sexually touched you when you were younger. And now with your own spouse or with people around you, you struggle to be touched and you're kind of living out this, this daily battle, this trauma, this, this stuff. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's, it's what we're asked to do. It's what we're called to do. Turn with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says this. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14, but if you forgive others their trespasses, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. We step off the judgment seat. We step off the throne of thinking that we can wag our fingers and pronounce judgment and point out the plank in somebody else's eyes. And we remember that all that Jesus has done for us. That Jesus has said that he's almost like upping the ante and he's saying, listen, I get it that people have have caused you pain. I get it that people have wronged you. I understand I myself was wronged but we get a small glimpse of what it's like to be like God by extending a gift to the world around us that they don't deserve, by extending forgiveness to those who have hurt us, by letting go freely into the care of the Lord, the one true judge, those who've caused us pain. Just like Jesus did on the cross for you and I. And he ups this ante. He's like, listen, if you don't do this, if you don't do this very important thing, I can't forgive you. This is non-negotiable. This is non-negotiable, everybody, that we must forgive. We must let go of offense. We must release those that we have judged and held so much bitterness and bondage towards. And the person that's holding back most is yourself anyways. person that's holding back the most is yourself. Why does, why does the Lord want us to do this? I think, personally, I, there's something about understanding that the great power and love of what God did for you, that he did it for another. To truly understand what Christ did when he came as a man, when he died on a cross, when he was put in the grave and came back to life for you and I, is to understand that Christ didn't just do it for you, he did it for your perpetrator. That Christ didn't just come for the liar, Christ came for the homosexual. Christ didn't just come for the thief, he came for the murderer. Christ came for all of us. And we like to rate sin. We like to say what sins are, are more horrible. Christ came for the teenager in our youth group struggling with pornography and not knowing what to do with these emotions. And he came for you and I who are fudging the lines on our taxes. Christ came for all. He didn't pick and choose. Can you imagine? He didn't pick and choose. He looked upon the earth and he saw all peoples and it is his desire that all shall come to know him and follow Jesus and be in eternity one day. So to understand and to extend this gift, this free gift is to be like God and to understand and and remember and remind yourself that freely you have received, freely give. Don't sit in the judgment seat don't do it. Come on, tell somebody, don't do it. <laughs> the truth is we can't afford to. We not only, like, first off, I mean, that's sobering enough. If you don't forgive, my father will not forgive you. And the measure with which you judge, you will be judged. That's sobering enough. But then to top it all off, when we, when we sit in these places of unforgiveness, what happens to us? 
we're reliving those moments where we're living that trauma over and over and over. It's almost as if we have bound ourselves to that person. We have bound ourselves to what they've done for us. We are giving them power over us. And for the rest of eternity, we are carrying them with us on our back. We're carrying that thing with us, those people, the wrongdoings, the weights, that anxiety, that shame, that depression, that brokenness, that anger, that rage, that malice, and we are carrying it with us. And some of us are just limping through life. It's time to walk freely. It's time to pack lightly. And so we can't afford, we can't afford it. God wants you to be free. I, back in 2008, after high school, I went out to the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry and um, had a great time. Yeah, Jacob, we were talking about you graduated 2020. Yeah, our youth pastor graduated in 2020. Both past youth pastors have been ex-Bethel grads, though. That's pretty cool. Just saying, just saying. That's kind of cool. Anyways, we have a nice thing going here, okay? We've got to find one in 10 years. Um, and when I was out at the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, I had the privilege of going with one of my close friends. He came to our family's house church growing up. He, he was an awesome guy, loved the Lord, kind of got radically saved. He went to church but wasn't really saved. And he got saved. He started coming to our family's house church. And he went to a mission school. And then after that, him and I went out to Bethel together. And so we're at Bethel. And we are having a great time, a pretty good first year, I think. And there was this one moment where we were hanging out with a mutual friend and something was off. Y'all know when something's just off, you can feel it. And I was like, something's off. And he was being weird to me. And so I had the opportunity to stay and hang out with our one mutual friend a little longer or go home with Billy. His name's Billy. And I decided I'm going to go home with Billy because we need to talk this through. Like something's weird. And so I get in the car, we start driving back and I'm like, Billy, what's going on? What's happening? And he says something to me that I, I just remember so clearly. He said, listen, Aaron, we can be friends, but we'll never be best friends. We're just, we're just too different. And in that moment, I was like, what do you mean? Like, we are best friends. We've been friends for years. Like, how can you say that? And so we, we, get, we kind of just have this really awkward, as you can imagine, drive back to our garage-turned-bedroom there's so many Bethel students that pretty much everyone in the Bethel church turns like a room in their house or a garage, converts their garage into a place for students to rent. And so me and two other guys, we lived in this converted garage. And um, we get in the garage, super awkward. I sit down on the bed and I'm like, I don't know what to do. He's just being all sorts of weird. And so I just had this overwhelming sense of I need to leave. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever felt that urge? Like, I just need to get out of here. I was like, I just need to get out of here. So I packed my bag. I began to head out the door, open our screen door. It was to the backyard. And I was leaving. And as I'm leaving, as I'm crossing, crossing the threshold, he, he yells, he kind of shouts at me. He says, yeah, just leave like everyone else in my life. I'm like, I closed the door. I didn't stay. I left. <laughs> I closed the door. I still, I still left. I closed the door. I walked out. I walked to the, this, I, I did, hold on a second. I got to the start, I got to the start of the driveway. I didn't make it further. I stopped by like the recycling bins and the garbage bins. I remember putting my hand on the recycling bins and I did what any Bethel 
student would do at the time, and I legitimately, this is, this is a true story, I said, what would Danny Silk do? And I, I know it's true, it's terrible. Nowadays, I'd like to think I'd matured. I would have said, what would Jesus do now? But in that moment, what would Danny Silk do? This relational bypass, what do I do? And I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I couldn't leave. And so I decided to go back inside. I turned around, I head back in. And as I came in the door, he said something mean and passive aggressive. And I sat down on the bed and he was over across the room on the couch and I, I didn't know what to do. So I just began to say over and over and over and over. I said, Billy, I'm so sorry I hurt you. Billy, I'm so sorry I hurt you. I'm so sorry for what I've done. Would, would you please forgive me? Billy, I'm so sorry I hurt you. And over and over and over and over. I didn't know what to do. He wouldn't tell me what I did. And as I just sat there for an awkward amount of time and just continued repeating myself, I'm so sorry, Billy, for any way that I hurt you, I'm so sorry. He broke. All of a sudden, Billy, this tough hockey dude, started weeping. He starts crying and he says, Aaron, I'm so sorry. I have trouble letting people in. And when Billy was, was young, his, his mom left, left their family. And he had all this, this, this bondage, this hurt, this trauma that he was holding on to. And then there was this beautiful moment where he was able to finally be honest with me with the ways I've hurt him. And we repented and forgave and cried together. And, and then Billy says this. He says, hold on one second. I'll be right back. And he goes and he comes back with a bucket of water. And he says, I want to wash your feet. And so Billy and I, we washed each other's feet. And if we weren't best friends before, we were definitely best friends now. <laughs> I've, I have become intimate with your feet, washing them. And this is the power of letting go. This is the power of forgiveness. This is the power of saying, I don't want to hold on. I didn't know what to do, everybody. But I just said, I can't leave another minute. I can't let this go on another day, another moment, another hour. I have to go back in there. And we have to take care of this. There is like an urgency to this message today. I want to tell y'all. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. It's, there's this urgency. Jesus says, listen, if you're at the altar and you're giving your sacrifice, you're giving your gift to me, and you remember the offense of your brother, go to them and then come back. And some of y'all came to church today and you're worshiping and you're hearing hopefully a good message, but there is offense in our hearts that the Lord is telling us to go deal with. That the Lord is saying, actually, we need to leave this place. We need to go deal with the matters at hand. We need to go forgive those who have wronged us. We need to go and forgive those who have hurt us. We need to go and release them. It is for freedom he set us free. And we can be here, but there is an urgency. There is an urgency to this. Ephesians 4 verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Guys, why stay in bondage any longer? As we mentioned earlier, the, the person that you are hurting the most is you. You're the one that has to carry that around. You're the one that has to carry those weights. You're the one that's suitcases are absolutely filled to the brim. And it's not that person you have anger towards that's lugging those things around. It's you. When we forgive, when we 
we do what Christ has compelled us to do, we are set free. It's to like, forgiveness is to set somebody free from a prison and realize it was you all along that needed free. <laughs> Listen, some of us are waiting on the emotion of forgiveness and we don't realize that forgiveness is faith. Some of us are waiting on the emotion of forgiveness, but forgiveness is faith. It's in Christ. And Jesus is no stranger to this, right? When he came back from the cross, when he came back from the grave, he had scars. But why why allow our wounds to remain open? Because that's all that unforgiveness does. That's all that holding on to bitterness and judgment does. It doesn't allow the healing process to begin. It doesn't allow those wounds to become scars. And sure, the memory might still be there. You know, Jesus said to Thomas, look at my scars. Look at the holes where I was pierced for you, for your transgressions. But it does set us free. Lastly, I want to flip the script for a moment. Sometimes the hardest person to to let go, sometimes the person we have the most malice and, and bitterness and anger towards is ourselves. Sometimes the person we want to punish the most is ourselves. Mark 11 verse 5 says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your, your trespasses. Forgive. Do y'all think that anyone includes you? The answer is yes. Y'all can nod your head. Yes, yes it does. Yes it does. I want to ask you something. If you own something nice, how do you treat it? With care? Like you have something, like the new iPhone, iPhone 14. Anyone ready for that? I don't know. Any Apple geeks in the room? Like when you get a nice phone, what do you do? You put it in a? Come on, y'all can say it. You'll put it in a? Case, a case. When you have a nice car, you park it in the garage. We're getting, we're getting real smart now. Listen, when you have nice things, you treat them well. My son, my son has figured out that apparently the fastest car in the world, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the Bugatti Superstar. And so he is obsessed with the idea of owning a Bugatti Superstar. Like, I don't know, that kid just has to be the fastest. He has to be the strongest. He has to, we're working on it. But I appreciate the confidence anyways. And so Jude's had his first soccer game of the season. And we're telling Jude, buddy, your hair's a little long. You got that like surfer shade going on. You need to wear a headband. And we begin to show him, Jess was showing him photos of of football players, soccer players, in America, soccer players wearing, professional soccer players wearing headbands to hold their hair back. Because when he used to play like last season, he'd be like literally holding it and running. But he wants to have his like shag. He likes it. So we're like, buddy, you got to do this. And he still did not want to wear it. And I said, listen, buddy, those professional football players can afford Bugatti Superstars. I said, so if you, like, you want to be a pro one day, you want to be able to afford a Bugatti Superstar, you need to wear a headband. And from that, from that moment on, he wore a headband. I'm not joking. This literally was yesterday. And <laughs> I did tell him, I said, listen, though, buddy, the only deal is if you become a professional uh, soccer player and you have to buy me a Bugatti Superstar one day too, okay? That's what I'm saying. But <laughs> for Jude... 
I, I, love this, I love this little story of my son, you know, wanting, wanting this car. But if, if he truly had this car, how would he treat it? He would treat it well. He would treat it with kindness. So why are we treating ourselves any less than God determined our worth? Why are we treating our le- ourselves any less unkind, unfairly? Why are we hold- withholding ourselves because God didn't hold, withhold from you. But sometimes we withhold from ourselves and we think, I can forgive those who've wronged, but I can't forgive myself. I can't release myself. I know the Lord has released me, but I can't do it. I can't let go of this. And we need to remember, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus determined your worth, your value, when he paid for your life on a cross. And the price that he paid made you absolutely invaluable. And so we need to treat ourselves like the Bugatti superstars of the world, everybody. And to understand that Christ has made you into a new creation. Christ has made you into a new person. You are wearing the clothing of Christ. And so don't give yourself something that the Lord isn't giving you and withholding from yourself. We need to be like Christ and to give ourselves love and kindness and forgiveness and not hold, hold ourselves to, to high judgment. God is not asking us to suppress our emotions. He's asking us to deal with them. God is not asking us to suppress our pain. He's asking us to deal with it so those wounds can become scars. So maybe you're in this room and you've, somebody has wronged you People have hurt you. People have made you feel less than. People have left you. You're still struggling. You still have scars. You still have trauma. You still have things you're going through. Maybe, maybe it's your spouse. It's an easy one. Sometimes those that are closest to us can cause us the most pain. Maybe it's a colleague who's just super unkind to you. Whatever it is, is there an offense? I want to, I want to again, communicate an urgency this morning. Because I, I believe that's how Christ presents forgiveness in the Bible. There is an urgency. If we've come in this morning with malice or rage or bitterness or anger or resentment, if we've been playing the place of executioner and judge, today is the day to let all that behind us. Just take a moment, stand with me, and close your eyes. I want us just to get real for a moment. And ask the Lord, or maybe you already know, is there somebody in my life that I have chained myself to Is there somebody in my life that I have tied or (laughs) set my life to that has wronged me? Is there fruit of bitterness or bondage or anger in me? Is there wickedness and sin in me to those around me? Have I been playing the judge? Just take a moment and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anyone? 
Lord, have I been holding myself in contempt? Have I been holding myself to a, to a grudge? Something I did years ago. Today is the day of salvation. Not yesterday. It's new every day. His mercies are new every day. Today is the day of salvation. And the Lord wants to remove these baggage, this baggage, these chains, these weights that are hindering us from our lives. So wherever you are with that person in mind, maybe yourself, just begin to say to the Lord, Lord, I am, I am so sorry. Lord, I repent for holding on for not letting go, for not giving those around me the gift that they don't deserve, but that you freely gave to me. Come on, just in your own words, tell them. I feel the Lord saying that there are those that from this moment forward will walk in joy unspeakable. That, some of, that there's somebody in this room that is like, but God, I don't want to. That anger, that malice, that rage, it's the only thing that's kept me alive. And the Lord says, as you forgive, you will experience joy unspeakable. And Lord says, forgiveness, it's not, it's not just saying what somebody did was okay. In fact, it's saying what they did was not okay. They've wronged us. They've hurt us. They've sinned against us. But we give them to you, God, as the judge. We don't be the, we're not the judge. And it doesn't mean you have to trust them. You can still have boundaries. Trust is earned. But it does mean we let go. So just wherever you are all across this place, let's just say, Lord, I release so-and-so. Say their name. If it's your own name, say your own name. I forgive them. They owe me nothing or I owe me nothing. Aaron, you owe me nothing. Now, lastly, let's just place a hand on our heart. Is there something you need to forgive yourself for? Lord, I'm so sorry. As we forgive, just begin to invite the Holy Spirit. Just with your hand on your heart, say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and fill me up? The Lord doesn't just want to remove, he doesn't just want to empty, but he wants to fill us this morning. I just feel in this moment, even just to find a few around you, find a few around us and begin to, to lay hands on one another as the body of Christ, support one another and just pray a simple pray, prayer. Just pray more, Lord. 
Lord, as you remove remove these shackles, as you remove these bondages, as you remove these things in our lives that are holding us back, Lord, would you come and encounter every person with your presence? Lord, would your spirit come and rest on us? Lord, would joy unspeakable come and rest on us? Would grace for the next day come upon us?